Welcome back to the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated home for all Alabama Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Colin Martin, and joined for our for our monthly edition, I guess you want to call this a recruiting roundup here, I'm joined by SI All-American Director of Football Recruiting, John Garcia, recurring guest. How's it going, man? Um, it's going well. It's always good to be on with you, Tyler. Yeah, you know, um, like I said, you know, it's kind of a once-a-month thing we do where we come here, you know, you you might drop a little nuggets, you might just share a little bit of insight, um, you know, and just the recruiting world and, and what's going on. John, and I know it's crazy, but, you know, we're now into the month of August, and, you know, Alabama is coming out of July. And, I, you know, I've talked to some other guys about this, but just how, like, if you can just put it into perspective, a perspective of how epic the month of July was for Alabama, over your years of being in the recruiting business, how, I mean, how great of a month really, I mean, just in, in terms of what you've seen in the past, how great was it? You know, in, in, in a normal cycle, it would be considered elite. In a normal year, it would be considered sort of head-turning, groundbreaking, all, all the adjectives you want on the positive end of the scale. But to do it during COVID-19, without camps, without visits, and then to do it where you did it, you know, going into Texas for the Brockemeyer Twins, going into Ohio for former Ohio State commitment, Devontae Smith. I mean, going up to Michigan and grabbing the state's top prospect in, in, in pain. It's just where you've gone. Obviously, Florida, the state of Georgia being, beating UGA for Terrence Ferguson. I mean, it's like not just the, the talent, but where you went to get it during a time where we can't do any visits or camps or anything. You know, Nick Saban has not physically seen any of these kids in, in at a minimum six months. So that caveat or asterisk or whatever you want to throw onto it makes it that much more astounding. I think it's it's been the best run we've seen during COVID. Uh, I think Miami could challenge that here in the next couple of days, depending on when this pod comes out. But in terms of where the reach has been, and going outside of, of the state or even conference footprint, this has been the most impressive recruiting run during the pandemic. It started off with Ohio State and Clemson as, 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 as gliding right into it. Then uh, it became, what, the Tennessee show, right? Tennessee took the top prospect in Alabama. Yeah, North Carolina went on their run, uh, getting Tony Grimes and Drake May to be the apex of that. Now it's Bama's turn. Um, and, and this Bama run has been, again, all those other runs were, were regional. Tennessee went into in-state recruits, North Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, uh, Florida for their prospects. So everything in that, in that SEC footprint, Miami's run has been pretty much all in the same southern part of the state, the, really the tri-county area in South Florida. So all of these runs have been regional. North Carolina has been keeping in-state prospects home. Bama's has been the most national, and you've beaten true – true shoe-ins for these prospects, number one prospects in a certain state where everyone for a long time thought this kid was going to school X and Bama pulled him out without visits and without all the traditional recruiting elements. It's just remarkable to look at today. And I think as time goes on, we're, we're going to look back even, even, you know, more glowingly about this run because of what was going on in this country all at the same time. So just truly Remarkable stuff. I mean, Bama is, is the COVID recruiting champs uh, to add another banner to their, their mythical 
you know, recruiting, uh, you know, rafters section where they've, they've got, you know, as much as, or more than anybody else in America. Yeah, and, and fans, you know, for the month of August, I'm going to have to kind of pump the brakes on the expectations for the month of August because I, I'm sure you're hearing the same things, John. A lot of these guys now, we're getting closer to the end of this dead period, right, August 31st, and, you know, the NCAA could make a decision maybe, you know, any day now to extend that or stop it, right, to get official visits back. But, you know, obviously hearing that a lot of guys are are really adamant, you know, about getting those official visits in some way or another. One thing that I saw, which I know one Alabama target, Robbie Ozutz from, um, from South Carolina did, he, like, he just drove down to Tuscaloosa, and I've seen a couple other guys do this on his, you know, on his own right. time. Couldn't obviously talk to coaches. But he was able to visit campus, and he actually hung out with Miller Four Stars, Miller Four Star as well. So a lot of guys here in August, they're waiting to see what's going to happen with the official visits, and I think that's really interesting, right? So, um, and we can go ahead and start with, you know, just kind of hitting these guys, you know, just the, the, the known commitment dates that we know about pretty soon, right? August fifteenth, there's two big Alabama targets that day who are committing, um, who are announcing their decision. It's Monkel Goodwine. Um, you know, defensive end out of out of Maryland, and then you've got uh, Shamar Turner, or excuse me, I'm sorry, you got a defense, you got a cornerback, Kyrie Jackson, out of East Mississippi Community College. Let's start with Goodwine. Uh, you know, guy, you know, Alabama has been you know in the mix for him for a long time now, right? Like, you know, they've they've he, he's had he's had an Alabama offer for a while, and you know they've been there. Texas A&M is uh, uh, Texas A&M is right there. Uh, Clemson. Uh, Kentucky, and so for for Monkell, you know what? First off, John, let's talk about the player. What do you, what do you think he does really well? Well, look, man, he's he's a pass rusher, you know, uh, and he's got a frame where he could one day play inside. And and if you talk about where where Alabama has been with some of these front seven prospects, whether they're committed or otherwise, we've said a lot of similar things about this group. It's very clear what, uh, you know, Nick Saban, Pete Golding, and the crew are going for on the edge. They want these hybrid players who maybe on first down can, can play standing up, and then as you get closer to, to passing down and crunch time, you're talking about hand in the dirt getting after the passer, you know. So revamping the pass rushing units has been a major priority over the last, what, cycle and a half or two for Alabama. They lost a, a ton of production recently at those positions. So it does make a lot of sense. And, and Goodwine's another one of these compact pass rushers who can do it from the first or second level. But he also has that athleticism to where, hey, if you need him to run with a tight end underneath in a zone coverage or potentially, you know, disrupt the timing with a running back breaking out of, of the backfield on his route, he can do some of that too. And I think that's where you talk about three-down value and, and the reason why the, the, the entire SEC West is really after him. And that's really where I characterize, you know, his recruitment. I think, like you mentioned, Bama, a and I think LSU is kind of a sneaky pick for him August 15th. Uh, we, we've been in touch with folks in that area, and there's a lot of back and forth here. You know, does, does Monkel know today as we record this where he's going? I think there's a legitimate case for yes and no. Uh, which is usually, uh, you know, atypical of a prospect who's who's less who's a week or so away from a decision. So I think that's really an interesting element of all of this. We've talked about how Alabama has been able to close while not being maybe the front runner for a lot of these prospects during COVID. Was was Bama? Bama wasn't the favorite for, for J.C. Latham early on. 
Bama wasn't the favorite from Damon Payne early on. Ja'Cory Brooks had a ton of Florida buzz two weeks before he committed. You know, so Bama's been able to make up ground in short periods of time. Can they do so yet again with Monkel Goodwin? That's what I'm curious about. But but I do think he's he's ready to, to leave that D.C. area. And, and I think the SEC West is in the best position between Bama A&M uh, and LSU. LSU is more of a dark horse. It feels more like a Bama A&M situation right now. Um, but, again, if the kid is, is not 100% solidified today, who's to say Bama or Clemson or Arizona State or someone else doesn't uh, really make a run for him in, in the next week or so. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, but, but you can see why these schools are, are trying the jockey for a position. He can just do – he can do three different things on three different downs, and there's just not a lot of pass rushers who can say the same. Yeah, I think he had LSU because, you know, he readjusted his, his, his schools, right? He had a top five, then he said, I'm getting scratched out, I'm getting a new top five. And I think LSU was in the one before he, you know, he, he kind of he scratched things a little bit. Um, but, yeah, you know, he comes from, a, you know, an area that's really known to produce a lot of athletes, right, that DMV area. And, yeah. and like I said, you know, I, I agree with you in the sense that, hey, I mean, it, it, it appears it's a two-horse race there, Alabama, A&M, and the other schools lagging behind. But you never, you never know, man. Um, and and with him, you know, because I, I know, you know Nick Saban has been on some Zooms with his coach there at National Christian Academy, and, and, and Monkale has been keeping in touch with Coach Saban as well. And, and I believe his main recruiter, too, is, is Charles Huff. And, you know, you talk about a guy like Charles Huff, man. I mean, he's, I mean, he's absolutely destroying it on, on the recruiting trail. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, who's, who's going to put cash against Charles Huff today? It's, it's not going to be me. Uh, he's He's really blossomed in year what is this year two at Alabama. He's really he's really settled, um, and I think you start to see the dividends. It's, it's really hard to judge a, a recruiter the the first twelve months or so of his employment. Right, it's a new school. It's, sometimes it's a new position. It's new territories and it's new relationships. Right, if, if you're coming from Mississippi State or Penn State, you're not recruiting the same kids that you're recruiting at Alabama. So uh, I think there you have to allow that adjustment period. I think Pete Golding got got flack for, for maybe not hitting the ground running and recruiting and, and others, you know, weren't necessarily shooting right out of the gates on that high horse. But I think in year two and Pete Golding, same boat, right? Things are, things are much more stable uh, in his recruiting targets, particularly, you know, state of Mississippi into Texas, et cetera. Uh, same thing for Charles Huff. You know, you've been able to see how someone can settle and truly get a 12 month chance and window to solidify a prospect's commitment. And, and Huff has not missed on many uh, this cycle. Um, and it's why he's been the ace for not only for Alabama, but, you know, for prospects all over the, the field, right? It's not just the territory. He's been, he's been the leading recruiter for prospects on offense and defense. You know, that tells you where Nick Saban feels he's effective, uh, you know, on the trail. You know, so now that we have that true sample, he's, he's really taken it and run with it. And I'm not yeah, that's that's a, that's a really good point. But and also too, just what a novel idea, right? Wait and see approach with you guys. You mentioned people, <laughs> you know, great approach. Twitter, right? Twitter tells me that should not be the way to, to do it, but that's the way. To do it. <laughs> and uh, kind of move because, like, you know, the two biggest, in my opinion, just two of the biggest positions of need. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'll, I won't throw tight end out there because everybody knows Alabama needs to get it needs to get it hit on a tight end probably this cycle, and then I mean, if not then they're definitely going to need to hit on a big, big, big in 2022. Uh, but I think the two biggest position to need, right, defensive line and then cornerback. So the other flip side of that August 15th date, which could be a really awesome day for Alabama Crimson Tide fans, 
right? Tyree Jackson out of East Mississippi Community College, good old scuba. Um, you know, he's announcing too. And Buddy Stevens, you know, their head coach, he did some local radio in Tuscaloosa, said he's the best corner he has ever coached. And that to, that to me is obviously hyper age. You know, they've, they've kind of built a pipeline, right, to high division one programs and even some NFL talent there. Uh, but Kyrie, you know, he's down to Oklahoma, got Florida there too, Oregon, Alabama. Um, so so it's going to be really interesting for me. I think Alabama right there is in the lead as of right now, just given, um, you know, you know how, how, how the connection between his, uh, Coach Buddy and then Nick, how they have. Because, you know, he's got, he's got a history of sending Alabama guys or ENCC guys to Alabama. Um, so I think it's really interesting. You know, just a you know, wh- little bit of Kyrie, what, is, what have you seen from him? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he fits what, what Nick wants to do at corner. We all know that's, that's the position of, above all else uh, that Nick is still so, so involved with on a day-to-day basis. So, look, he's admitted, hey, it's a little bit different when, when he goes after cornerbacks. Um, so we know the Nick Saban profile is six foot, six one, 185 pounds or, or better, and Kyrie is right there. Obviously, he comes with a different level of experience, having played Juco ball for – for going on two years now, I mean, we'll see what happens with, you know, like everything else, we'll see what happens with this season. But either way, Kyrie comes in with college experience, and that's really something that, that can't be duplicated uh, with these prep prospects, even though Bama's going after these elite corners like, you know, Jason Marshall and all these guys. Um, so he offers something different right off the bat. Um, and then when you get into <laughs> the pipeline, when you get into what EMCC has done, and, and look, the location, that's right down the road right down the road in Scuba, like you said. So I think all those things line up pretty well for Alabama. Some of the other contenders you mentioned, uh, you know, Florida has a million defensive backs committed already, let's be honest, uh, and they're in it for, you know, Jason Marshall, Corey Collier, a bunch of others uh, with, with limited spots left. So I'm not sure that they're uh, pushing maybe as much as, as an Alabama should or would, given the lack of defensive backs on the commitment list right now, as, as you laid out, Tyler. And, and then Oklahoma – Look, man, there's, it's really clear. There's two mentalities with defensive recruits in Oklahoma today, and I've talked to a lot of them in the last two weeks. It's like one says, I can go and be the beginning of, of the, hey, you know, maybe Oklahoma can play some defense trend, or it's the other side of it where it's like, man, if I go there, like I'm not going to be seen as much. I'm not going to be – in the defensive spotlight as much. It's always going to be about my, my offensive teammates. It's always going to be about Lincoln Riley. It's always going to be about everything other than me as a defensive player. You know, so there's really two schools of thought there. Um, so when you talk about a junior college guy, Tyler, now it's, it's emphasized even more because your eligibility is already consumed to a degree. So it's like I've got a year or two at the most to, to make an impact here. Uh, will, will I see the field? Yes. Will, will it matter? Will it be something that people are – are hyperly focused and, and, and dialed in on, maybe not as much at Oklahoma. But we have heard some sooner buzz there, um, but not as much as Alabama. I think it, it geographically makes sense, positionally it makes sense, with saving it makes sense. And let's, let's not minimize Carl Scott in, in this conversation either. You know, he's, he's quietly done a really nice job over the last couple of cycles. We know he has ties in that same corridor as Pete Golding, right? Texas all on the way through Mississippi into Alabama. So, you know, Jackson is, is in his wheelhouse twofold in that, in that light. So I do think that this is Alabama's race to lose. Like you said, August 15th will be a good day, we think, for Alabama. 
It's just a matter of how good. Are you going to go two for two, one for two, or, or for some reason, 0 for two? I don't really see that, that 0 for two happening. Uh, but this is also recruiting, so you never know. But I do think Jackson today is, is the safer bet between he and Goodwine. But, you know, we still got some time in between now and then, so, so we shall see. Yeah, and one thing I like about Kyrie, right, he's listed at 6'3", uh, you know, so monster size there. And, and two, right, like he, the, you know, just in terms of when Alabama goes after JUCO guys, those JUCO guys better be ready if they elect to come to Tuscaloosa. Because yep, the, day one. The, the reason why, you know, I, that's why I'm, you know, I'm kind of expecting – you know, who else is going to step up in 2020 outside of Patrick Sertain in the secondary? I'm looking at Ronald Williams, right? So he's just yeah. one example um, of, of a guy that Alabama has got from the Drico level, hey, who you need to – they need to be ready to compete. And so – but you mentioned Oklahoma, right? Like Oklahoma, you know, they were able to get Latrell McCutcheon, who was an Alabama commit. That would be interesting if, if Oklahoma was able to say, hey, you know, two, defense, two defensive backs, y'all can come to Norman. Um, and that, that, would, that would be a fascinating storyline. Look, if you if you go play corner at Oklahoma, you can guarantee a couple of things. One, you're going to get a lot of action. You, you are going to be playing with the lead, what, 80% or more of the time, you know, because of, of how weak the Big 12 is in terms of a depth, uh, you know, comparison compared to, to, to the SEC or, or the Big 10 or even the ACC to a degree. So you're going to be playing with the lead. So teams are going to be throwing the football. So you're going to get reps. There's no doubt about that. And I think McCutcheon was a very, very interesting case. Uh, there's, there's a clear chip on his shoulder. He was injured. There's a lot of, of, of sort of I need to go prove this mentality with Latrell. And, look, we love Latrell. He's going to be one of our top ten corners when we get there on SI All-American. We love his, his floor, his foundation. There's a lot of similar traits with Kyrie Jackson, with that length and ball skill um, that I think translates uh, regardless of where you go. Now, Oklahoma, this is the difference here, Tyler. Oklahoma's going to play a lot more zone. They're going to play a lot more safe coverage because they're in the Big 12. They're, they're going to be playing with the lead. They're going to be playing true, quote-unquote, defense. Alabama, as we all know, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Ohio State, you're playing a lot of man coverage. This is a different animal from a cornerback's perspective. It's harder, it's riskier, uh, and obviously you're in the SEC, right? So we, we would expect, although the Big 12 has turned out as many good receivers as anyone, we would expect a higher level of consistent talent there in the SEC. So it's truly two different asks when you compare Oklahoma to Alabama in almost every way. Uh, although Oklahoma can sell one thing Bama can't, where it's like, hey, you can be the beginning of something different and new at this position, on this side of the ball, at this school. Uh, that's not for everybody, uh, but that's really the only thing Oklahoma can sell that's different than Alabama. Alabama's like, we're going to put pressure on you. You're going to be responsible for this, this receiver on this down, man coverage, because we're blitzing, we're doing all these other things. So it's a lot more pressure and responsibility at Alabama, which just lends itself more towards a more experienced junior college prospect like uh, Kyrie Jackson, and that's part of the reason why I think uh, Bama's probably the favorite. Yeah, Lincoln Riley figuring out, man, we we got to play defense too if we want to, you know, show up in the playoffs. Um, yeah, yeah, he's smart. He hired Alex Grant. They're, they're going to get it figured out. I don't know if it's going to result in a national title, but they couldn't get worse than they were two, three years ago. 
that's, that's, a, that's a great point, too. Uh, but, you know, also, you know, staying on the defensive line – or, excuse me, I want to go back to the defensive line, John. Uh, there's a guy uh, he just released a top ten. It's Tim Keenan out of, uh, out of uh, you know, Ramsey High School, a guy that I'm very high on. He actually is going to cut down his list August 16th. So, um, day after these two guys announced, Tim's going to announce, a, a, you know, a top five. And Alabama's obviously expected to be in there along with some other SD powers, you know, Georgia – Florida, Tennessee. Uh, what, what, what do you kind of read on Tim's recruitment? And you know, because a lot of Alabama fans are wondering if Tim's a take. Because I know, I know, and the coaching staff at Alabama is very high on him. Um, even though you know his film might not be as great compared to some other guys at his position in this 2021 cycle, um, but obviously the staff loves him, and I think he's a very solid player, man. I think he can, he can be you know one of the next big you know great defensive linemen uh, for defensive tackles for Alabama from Birmingham, right? Like he's from he's got that pipeline, you know, Quinn and Williams, the Duran Payne. But what, what, what's your take on on Tim? Yeah, how about another Birmingham guy, DJ Dale, right? You know, okay. so there, there's there's a different there's a different thought process with certain schools and certain players. And look, Tim Keenan's size and build and position is is just not in the plans with every school as it once was. You know, he's six two, three thirty ish. I don't know the exact weight. Right now, he's lost, that, yeah, he's lost some weight recently. Right. It, it just doesn't fit what everybody wants to do in this era of, of spread football and just trying to slow down these, you know, more smaller, more athletic everything, right? Runners, quarterbacks, receivers. Everyone's a little bit smaller and faster. So the bigger guys are, are getting left out to a degree. So that has already eliminated so many schools from Tim Keenan's list. But in the SEC, where there is still that that traditional sense of establishing the run and combating the run, there's going to be a fit for Tim Keenan. It's not as sexy as you said. He's not a great pass rusher. He's not going to have 10 sacks, maybe maybe in his career in the SEC, but there's still room for prospects who can two-gap, which he can, and prospects who can hold the point. And I, I think when it comes to leverage and power, Tim is still one of the best in the country in a short window. So you talk about first down, second down, goal line, short yardage. There's still such a role for guys like that. And we've seen Alabama bring in some of these maybe, you know, not under the radar because you can't go to Bama if you're under the radar, but less heralded prospects at that specific position, and they outperform expectations very soon after. You mentioned Deron Payne. Remember the knock on him coming in? He's too heavy. What happened? He slowed down first-round pick at Alabama. With Quinn and Williams, what position is he? Oh, he bulked up too much first-round pick after a couple of years. Jonathan Allen, he's not really flashy or twitchy first-round pick after a few years. DJ Dale, you know, three-star guy, according to most similar, the most similar body composition to Tim Keenan. DJ Dale is not tall. I don't know the last time I stood next to him, probably a year ago. He's not very tall. Um, so, so the most similar body composition to Tim Keen and DJ Dale, all he does is crash the party as a freshman, which nobody, nobody was talking about, you know, 12 to 15 months ago. So Bama has had this reputation of, of uplifting that position and utilizing it to, to a higher degree than some of us maybe thought, given the change of offense and the change of the game over the last few years. There's still, there's still old school 
in all of these programs and all of these positions. So I do think there is a place for Tim Keenan. I do know Bama has work to do on the defensive front, um, but, but can Tim Keenan counter a guy like Damon Payne, who's taller, longer, leaner, and more of that interior pass rush than he is? Absolutely. That's what you want with your three-tech and your zero or your one, which is what Tim Keenan is. So he can counter what Bama has on the commitment list and what Bama has on the roster, but I think for him it's going to be a matter of, of spots. But I do, I do, I could pretty much guarantee that Bama's going to be on that cut August 16th. I think Georgia, Ole Miss, Mississippi State are some of the programs to keep an eye on. I do think Keenan stays in that SEC footprint. He's taken a ton of visits. He's very familiar with, with pretty much all of these schools. Um, and it looks like he's not going to play with Jeremiah Williams. That's something we talked about a lot yep. earlier. His yeah. teammate at Ramsey, that's a Florida-Auburn situation. And those are two schools that aren't high on Tim Keenan. So I think you really see the yin to yang with those two prospects and that position. So it's going to be fascinating to see it play out. I would bet on Tim Keenan. He's a great athlete. Watch him play baseball. He's, he is not an overweight, sloppy kid. I mean, he is a leverage monster who, in a phone booth, will just beat you up. And there's still room for that in, in today's game. Tim plays baseball? Yeah, man, he pitches first base. Man, he is He's an incredible athlete, pound for pound. It is, it's really interesting to watch. Like, look up his, his baseball stuff. He's a smooth – he's throwing, like, 87. Like, he is an interesting athlete. Yeah. I, 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 I've, I've talked to him probably, you know, a handful of times, and, and that never came up in conversation with him. I, man, next time I talk to him, I'm going I'm to have to bring this up. Yeah, we were we were at a camp in February, the Dex Preps camp there uh, there in Birmingham, uh, which is one of the, the definitely the last time I've been in Alabama for for any scouting uh, before COVID hit. And, and Tim shows up in his baseball gear at Ramsey, and I'm like, dude, you, you just came from practice, like you you don't need to like you don't need to camp, like you're you're good. Um, and he was just he just wanted to support his teammates, his underclassmen who were there, and and we got to talking, and we we talked about baseball for a little bit. He really loves the game of baseball, and and you watch him play, and you can see some of those things translate. What do you have to do as a pitcher and and at first base and and hitting? It's all about leverage, discipline, footwork, timing, all of the things that make you a great defensive tackle. So I, there's just so many, and he's first of all a great kid. Uh, as well, humble, hardworking. He's he's a captain of the team kind of kid. So he has so many sort of non-football traits that that make you make you want to bet on him. Um, and, and that's why I'm on that side of the fence with Keenan, despite him being, you know, six two, three forty or whatever he is. It, it's not the same six two, three forty as, as we've seen on the negative end of the spectrum with high school prospects. Yeah, I'm right there with you too. Just you know his. Like this, you know, cerebral above, you know, from the neck above. I mean, he he got it right in the head, no doubt about that. Um, just a couple more things, John, as we close. Going back down to the cornerback position, there was a rumor Jason Marshall was going to announce his decision August first. That didn't happen. Um, and you know, Alabama was obviously picking. He was a Florida lean for a long time. Alabama was picking up some steam. And now, you know, uh, Miami is really entered in. You know, I'm not going to say they haven't in. They've, they've been there a little bit, but. Um, they're now seem to be maybe, you know, on this tear that they're on right here. And, you know, this is going to air Friday. So um, Leonard Taylor is going to announce at some point on Thursday. He'll announce, you know, after whenever, you know, when this is released. Um, he'll, he'll be a hurricane. It's okay. You can say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll be a hurricane. <laughs> so, so anyway, 
um, you know, because Miami's picking up some steam, and that Paul Meadow five that everybody wants to talk about, um, you know, it looks like Jason Marshall. It looks like that could have been, you know, just could have been some smoke right there to Alabama. What's your take on on him and the relationship with Alabama and now Miami, who seem to be, you know, maybe maybe the front runners. Yeah, you know, the Palmetto Five, uh, for those who don't know, is there's there's five legitimate Power Five prospects at Palmetto High School. Most of them are already committed to Miami by the time this airs. Leonard Taylor will, will likely have been committed to Miami. He's, it's Miami, Florida, and Miami has all the recent bug. But but Jason Marshall's the hardest to, to peg from this group, and he's the best, in my opinion, from this group. You know, he's – uh, again, we talked about Latrell McCutcheon open up in the top ten for us at corner. Like Jason Marshall is going to be higher, 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 higher compared to Latrell McCutcheon if that gives away any hints, especially with Tony Grimes reclassifying to 2020. Marshall, we love, we love, and it's easy to see why so many schools are all in on the kid. And if you look at the schools coveting him, LSU, Florida, Alabama, Miami. I mean, there's a lot of quote unquote DBU candidates in that conversation. So it's understandable that it's maybe shifted a, a few times. I think for the bulk of his recruitment, you know, a lot of people saw him as a Florida, not lock, but, but lean, right? Florida has been able to come down to South Florida uh, and pick and prod corners because they've been producing first round corners. CJ Henderson just went first round from Miami. Uh, so right down the road, we're very familiar with Jason Marshall. A lot of people compare Marshall to CJ anyway. So easy to see why the Gators were able to get the sort of early recruiting buzz with Jason. But since then, like you said, Bama has been needy at that cornerback position. So there's no doubt that Bama has made a strong impression most recently. Again, we talked about the ground they've been able to make up since COVID hit, since everyone had to go to basically digital recruiting. So Bama has improved its standing of late. Uh, and then Miami, like like we said earlier, is is the school in best position to – grab either three or four of the Palmetto five. I think, you know, between Marshall and Corey Collier, who's the safety of the group, there's going to be some back and forth. Uh, I think Florida may be more likely for Collier today than Miami. So we'll see. I don't think any school goes five for five, but Miami's got the best chance to get the most prospects from Palmetto. And and, uh, Marshall's that swing player that can really tip the scales one way or the other. But look, Miami's buzz with him is real, it's new, uh, and it's sustainable. You know, the conventional wisdom with COVID was what? The schools who have talent locally are probably going to be able to benefit pretty well because any fear of travel, leaving home, doing something new is, is, is what? It's heightened right now. It's all heightened right now. So if you can stay local, I think you got a chance to – to really rack up in recruiting. And no program in America has taken advantage of this like Miami has. There's a whole lot of this is the class Miami's going to be back with going on right now in South Florida. I'm from down there. I hear it in my inbox every day <laughs> from, from family, from people I know. There's a different feeling with Miami. And we know that they can run away with an offseason, but they've never done it quite like this. James Williams, Leonard Taylor, these, these guys were, were virtual locks to SEC programs. Miami kept them home. Um, so if they can do that with Marshall, th- their recruitment is a level we haven't seen in, in 20 years. Um is going to make it tough on Miami, and I think that's part of the reason why Marshall has fluctuated with his commitment timeline. He's been quiet about it. We've heard rumors here and there. It could be any day, blah, blah, blah. 
the sooner the better for Miami, in my opinion. But if it draws out a little bit longer uh, or he, he decides to take visits again, which, like you said, Tyler, is important, then all of a sudden watch out for Alabama because they really, really love Marshall, just like everyone else does. He's, he's the most complete corner in this class, in my mind. So it should be a slugfest for him, and I think there's still room for, for multiple programs to make a push. Yeah, some, just some great information right there, John. And lastly, I wanted to get your take on you guys at SIL American have been following the landscape of high school football in the seasons and the COVID pandemic, you know, pretty close. And it looks like we're going to get roughly, like, you know, close to 40 states that are, you know, going to be playing high school football this year. You know, the NCAA announced Division Two, Division Three, the championships, they're done, right? So no no season for that level. But Division One's obviously plugging along. And now we've got high school levels, you know, high school level, they're, they're chugging along too. And practice has been going up. I think the first game I'm scheduled to be at is like August 20th. So I'm pretty fired about that, you know, being back on the sideline, covering a live sport again. But, I mean, you know, one thing I'm kind of worried about is just like, you know, obviously these kids, man, like these high school, a lot of high schools just don't have the resources, abilities to, to track the spread, right? Um, so I, I think, man, like we're looking at, I'm not going to call it a mess, but I'm just like, you know, that, that might be worrisome, you know, if we, if you know, if, at the prospect of finishing a season, right? Yeah, of course, of course. There's, this is all unknown. This is all uncharted. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing pushes, especially from states in the south, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. They want to get going now so that if and when something like that does happen, there's some kind of reference point in gaining and, and results that people can rally around. Um, so I do know that's part of both the reasoning to, to play sooner rather than later and also, uh, you know, the reasoning to, to, to push. Uh, so I understand all, all sides of this thing. Look, like, like you said, I cannot wait until I'm on the sidelines of a high school football game, but I completely understand how crazy that sounds to a lot of people given the lack of resources at some of these high schools. Some of these kids don't eat three meals at these high schools, and they're supposed to play during a pandemic. Like it's crazy to think about for some. Um, but look, it's it's gonna happen. High school ball is gonna happen at least on the front end here in the South, and I think that's really important. Uh, Ten states, as of this recording, have pushed it to the spring. Right, so basically, 2021 is when that's gonna happen for you know Virginia, Maryland, D.C., Cali. Um, Nevada, Colorado, I believe is the latest. Oregon has done so as well. So East Coast, Extreme West Coast is starting to, to play that conservative role. The South is still pushing forward. Florida is a bit of a mess. They don't – it's like up and down every day. But Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, they're going to get going here uh, pretty soon. Uh, Louisiana just pushed back a little bit. So I think I think you got, we all have to take advantage of this window uh, and be safe as possible during this process, but we know what's on the line. We know what's at stake for a lot of these kids. You know, it's, it's, this is their last chance to make that impression and get that scholarship, get that phone call that every high school football player dreams of getting. So I get it from both sides. I don't know how the logistics are going to work out, but like you, Tyler, at the end of the day, when I'm there at a high school game, even if it's just one this year, for that moment, everything will feel normal and right and I look forward to that very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to August 20th too because uh, I think that's a Thursday night game, and you know, I'm going to get chills, man. That I'm, I, I kid you not, it, it's going to be it's going to be an awesome moment. And you know, a lot of, you know, you mentioned these states, John. 
And some some national prospects like uh, you know Tumai's Adelaide, you know Ohio State commit, yeah, Alabama's still in contact with him. He's not going to play this season down there at IMG. Uh, Jordan Hancock he opted out down there, you know, at North Gwinnett uh, in Georgia. He another Ohio State commit. And then you've got other prospects who are leaving states that aren't playing to come to the South. And one being USC commit uh, Jay Garcia, right? Like you know he's one of the two quarterbacks. Shout out to my cousin Jay Garcia, baby. Oh, I didn't know you guys were related. No, we're not. I'm just kidding. Okay, well, well, <laughs> uh, anyway, you know he's he's in the South now. He's going to be a, he's he's moving over to Valdosta High School, and uh, you know, John, what are the chances that Alabama circles back around at the quarterback position in 2021? I know they're still you know trying to talk. They are still communicating with Jalen Milrow, Luke Oldmeyer, but do you think there's a chance they can circle back around to get you know talk to Jake at least, see how he likes the South, and what are the chances ultimately that he ends up signing with USC? Well, I'm sure you're uh, as, as well aware as anyone, Tyler, that a certain assistant coach at Alabama just got an extension with a with a pretty nice payday attached. Is that right? That that would be correct. And he <laughs> does have California roots. Exactly. You look look, Jake Garcia's pr- pretty familiar with Alabama, even with with Auburn. You know, he uh, what this was probably 12, 15 months ago. He took a big Southern swing before he committed to USC and there for a little bit there, Alabama and Auburn were really at the forefront of his recruitment really before USC stabilized and brought in Graham Harrell. And, and we, we got to see that product on Saturdays, which is really great and maybe save uh, Clay Helton's job. Before that happened, there was a lot of, Hey, I want to go to the South and play ball kind of mentality, which look, we've seen that from a lot of California's best quarterbacks, for the last several years, right, DJ Uangalele signs with Clemson, obviously Tua Tingo Bailoa at Alabama, even before that, Blake Barnett went to the South. We've seen LSU, other programs go to California and grab a lot of, of elite talent while USC is, is sort of down. Uh, so for a lot of his recruitment, Garcia was in that same thought process. Um, so who's to say now that, that he's in, in deep South Georgia in the 229 at Valdosta, that he's not going to take another look. We know, uh, and this is circles back to earlier, we know Miami's heavily involved with Jake Garcia. They're in a similar position to Alabama in that they don't have their quarterback, you know, verbally committed just yet in this 2021 group. So Miami's approach is going to have to be a flip at this point. There's just not a lot of elite uncommitted arms remaining in this 2021 cycle. And, and USC, for context, has two quarterback commitments. Miller Moss, who's, you know, maybe the number one or two quarterback in California, uh, he's verbally committed to USC more recently than Garcia, who was another top five quarterback in the state of California. And, and while USC was apparently transparent about that two quarterback plan, the first quarterback is always the one who has to look over his shoulder when something like that happens. And in recruiting, that typically means looking around. That's why Miami has some buzz, and that's why – with this move to the South, I do expect other schools to try to get involved. If I'm South Carolina, I'm giving him a call. Uh, heck, if, if, if I'm, you know, Georgia Tech, Alabama, uh, any school in the area, I'm going to give him a call because he's got top 15 arm strength in this class. He's got one of the best builds in this class. He doesn't have the production or experience of some of these other guys, but he's got the physical tools to develop. Um, and which, which I think goes right in line with USC taking two quarterbacks. 
he already knows he needs to sort of develop it. He thinks he's going to go in and be the guy they want anywhere. He's probably a little bit mistaken. So if he buys into that, which Rush Probst and the crew there will help him do, then I think his recruitment can basically start over, and he could be one of the most intriguing prospects here, you know, in, in the fall uh, because there's no timeline. There's no, hey, I'm going to be USC no matter what coming out of his mouth. Um, so I think until he does that and truly shuts it down, this thing is wide open. And now he's in South Georgia. He's going to play a full high school season and then enroll at School X in January. So basically between now and then, this thing could be well up in the air. So if you're Alabama with those ties to the West Coast in Steve Sarkeesian, he's been there before. He could obviously easily return now should, should this dead period get lifted in the near future. Why wouldn't you make an extra phone call or two uh, to Jake Garcia? Every other prospect is committed anyway, right? You mentioned Jalen Milrow, Luke Altmaier. They're already committed elsewhere anyway. And now this one after Altmaier is the closest to home. So, I do expect Alabama to get involved at some point. Why not? Makes perfect sense, John. And, uh, again, man, as always, we, we appreciate having you on here, your insight, your knowledge. Uh, you know, you're, you're one of the best in the business, man, and this is why uh, you do great work at SIO American. And you guys can check all that out there, SIOAmerican.com, and go check out, um, you know, we, we they, they, they've got over 8,000 prospects. And we've been posting some on Bama Central, right, as a commits. We've been going down there trying to do some more player profiles, you know, adding in some more of their recruitment. If you want to learn about their game, it's all on these evaluations from the SI All-American team, and it's absolutely loaded. Appreciate the kind words, my guy. I look forward to, to checking back in on Bama Central here uh, in the near future. I know you guys always have great coverage, and uh, it looks like it's going to be some, some more commitment stories popping up over there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, let's, let's, let's hope so. And, uh, John, as always, uh, hope you have a great rest of your day, man, and uh, look forward to talking to you next time. Always a pleasure, Tyler. Thank you, man.